Hey everyone, welcome to Office Hours with Cloud Posse, your weekly dose of insider DevOps trends, AWS news, and Terraform insights, all sourced from our SweetOps community. Plus a live Q&A you can't find anywhere else. It's November 22nd, 2023. My name's Eric Osterman and I'll be your host. Real quick, I'm the founder and CEO of Cloud Posse. We're a DevOps accelerator for startups that helps teams who are overwhelmed with AWS. We do this by using our over 200 plus Terraform modules that have been battle tested and downloaded over 10 million times. No matter where you find yourself on this journey, we're here to help your startup launch better products faster and free up your bandwidth for innovation. So you can nail your value delivery every time. And if you or your team has been banging your head against the wall with underperforming infrastructure, just head over to cloudposse.com slash quiz, answer a few quick questions, and we'll chart a roadmap for success free. Worst case, you get a clear roadmap for shoring up your infrastructure. Best case, we co-build it with you and your team in 90 days or less. So how can you maximize today's session? First off, our format is very informal. Engage as much as you'd like, ask questions. And if you're curious about any of our open source tools or modules, uh, go for it. For those of you on the recording, we host these calls live, so don't miss out. Just head over to cloudposse.com slash office hours. Again, cloudposse.com slash office hours. Now, I do have one ask. If you find any portion of today's office hours valuable, share it with your team. Just head over to youtube.com slash cloudposse. Again, youtube.com slash cloudposse. Or send us a short testimonial about the value you're getting in our Slack team. Just go to slack.cloudposse.com and you'll find us in the office hours channel. Remember, we're not just simply creating content here. We are truly trying to build a community. Uh, so with that said, let's get into some news or announcements. All right. Uh, first one was shared uh, to me by Matt Calhoun here. Looks like uh, Code uh, Amazon has already uh, integrated Fig.io uh, and is releasing a uh, Code Whisperer integration on the command line. Uh, this is pretty nice. Um, so you can um, uh, autocomplete as it's doing here. But I saw some other examples where you could just use like natural language uh, translation to Bash Shell. So. <laughs> Uh, this is pretty cool. So it, you know, this is, you know, what you want to try and do is copy all files to an S3 bucket. It just uh, prompts you with the suggested command to do that. Really easy way to get up and started. We need this for Atmos. <laughs> all right. Next, uh, has anyone already kicked the tires on this? All right. Next announcement is uh, a small, well, small or not small. Uh, CloudFront now has its own key value store. My take on this is this is Amazon feeling the pressure from Cloudflare. Cloudflare has been investing a lot in Cloudflare's workers, and they've had a um, edge uh, key value store for some time now. So now CloudFront uh, is offering the same. Um, looks like the maximum size of an object is 10K. Oh, function size is 10K. I don't know what the uh, actual limitations are otherwise. My guess is it's going to be a lot more limited than what you get with Cloudflare. All right. Anyone have something to add to that? All right. So hot off the press, Sentry, um, uh, uh, which was ahead of the curve, adopting the BSL license <laughs> now uh, has decided to change course and actually change from BSL to another restrictive license um, uh, called the uh, functional source uh, license. And their opinion is this is a better uh, move for your general developer um, with less restrictions. I don't have any uh, take on it yet. Anyone more, uh, more up-to-date on this license? So what's interesting is they had moved originally from a BSD uh, permissive license to BSL and now this FSL license. Okay. Next one. is <laughs> uh, not really that awesome, but I wish a lot of us are using OpenAI related products, uh, ChatGPT uh, being one of them. And it's been 
Wait, can you guys hear me okay? Because I'm tethered, I'm tethered, I think. Um, am I cutting in and out? No, you sound fine. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I heard All I right. heard some uh, some accelerate I heard some compression uh and acceleration, like your voice sped yeah. up. Like yeah, uh, see a second. Yeah. I'm gonna switch to one other network. I'll be right back in a second. That didn't work. Try. You guys hear me? Yeah. I'm back. All right, cool. This would be a better connection here. So I forgot to do that before starting. All right. So where was I? Uh OpenAI. So uh it's been a roller coaster ride from like last Friday when it was announced that he was merely fired from uh OpenAI uh with a vague uh description that he he had been basically not forthright in some of his uh decisions or something. Um to then being hired by Microsoft, to then returning to OpenAI as CEO. So I'm really confused where he is, but I'm sure he's going to land on his feet. Uh, and I'm sure OpenAI and ChatGPT are going to be fine. Too much money riding on this one. Um, anyone have the latest take on this? All right. I, I did hear there was an inside petition to get him back mm. that was backed by a lot of top engineers there i don't know the status of it though yeah. um and he had he has also been offered a job i believe somewhere else so we'll see well, microsoft. so microsoft has yeah. hired him now to lead uh some uh internal research group um in, in the open ai space basically just a way of <laughs> i guess keeping him close to close yeah uh, and a legion of engineers, uh, I think, departed uh, when he announced his resignation as well. So, so basically, yeah, Microsoft will take over the project. Is what it may sound like. We'll see. <laughs> At least some of their internal projects are working on because they, yeah, a lot of engineers have talked about leaving and going to Microsoft now. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and I was going to mention. I don't know if anyone saw the letter that Elon Musk shared on his Twitter handle that was shared with the board, team members, and all of that. Um, probably, maybe in coming weeks, there might be investigation on that, and maybe those issues as to why uh, Sam right, was probably kicked out in the first instance could be addressed properly, because mm. they stated some legit reasons as to why they took the actions. And I don't mm. know if anyone saw that. No, I didn't see that. But I mean, everyone is really curious. I saw Elon Musk also tweeting something about, you know, that the board needs to be more uh, forthcoming with information on why it took this severe action. Not that that board is there anymore. I think they've all been let go. All right. Next announcement, uh, minor one. I mean, I think it's just interesting, you know, so Fly, uh, one of the smaller uh, cloud providers had a provider, um, but they just said that they couldn't uh, maintain the staff to maintain that provider anymore. So they are just uh, archiving that. Um, I think this is a great example of where the Terraform provider generation thing that HashiCorp is working on, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. This is gonna help a lot of companies that are smaller, so long as you uh, produce an uh, open API uh, spec, uh, it can generate a Terraform provider for you. Next announcement was, um, yeah, for those uh, following along what's happening in the uh, open tofu world, um, you know, they are taking a serious stance at maintaining Terraform and learning this massive code base. I think that this was an interesting um, post that shows their journey as developers, you know, unraveling uh, the Terraform code to understand it better um, and having to re-implement from the ground up the test functionality because you can't just copy it from the BSL licensed uh, HashiCorp Terraform. 
So uh, they have to take kind of an observational approach, seeing how the testing behaves and implement that same thing without actually referencing the original code. Um, and this talks about their journey, some of the bugs they ran into and so forth. Uh, I think they're posting this uh, along other things because um, some of the consistent feedback on open tofu has been, you know, what's going on and improving um, basically communication uh, to build up confidence and trust in the project. Um, here's another funny thing, you know, every, oops, I guess I didn't link, I linked to a, something I copied and pasted. So I was surprised to learn that Terraform or HashiCorp has their own uh, doc generator. Now this is only for Terraform plugins. Of course, everyone is very much familiar with Terraform docs uh, in this community probably. This is interesting because this is one by HashiCorp itself and it's been around for uh, a few years. So at first I'd seen it, I, I, I searched our archives in SweetOps, no one's ever mentioned it before. So I thought it was worth uh, bringing up. Um, and it seems uh, highly configurable uh, with different templates, um, paths that you can specify and um, so forth. Mm. Here's an interesting one that I'm uh, really curious about. So one of the challenges when you're operating uh, multi -stages, multiple stages or multiple environments, dev staging production, is how do you get a realistic data set in the other environments that uh, doesn't leak any PII, PHI, you know, credit card information and so forth. Um, there's a number of services out there that provide this, um, but in terms of uh, doing it on your own, I forget what the, there's a po popular Python library uh, for uh, doing this. I just forget what it's called. Uh, now Glue supports this natively uh, and identifies 200 types of sensitive data. And then you can do a transformation on whatever it finds. Um, so you can either encrypt that data or you can obfuscate it in some way. So this might be a great way for one to generate test data for other non-production environments um, that's non-sensitive. Anyone have something to add to that? All right, just a few minor announcements then. Um, Amazon uh, access logs uh, can now be uh, organized based on date-based uh, partitioning. This makes it a lot more efficient for ingestion. So you can only you only need to scan certain folders uh, for data or access logs to ingest. Uh, so you can assume you've already ingested all the dates uh, prior to that, for example. So minor improvement. And then the next uh, one was, if you're using Amazon's own uh, EC2 image builder, uh, it didn't previously support lifecycle management of the images. So you would just keep increasing the number of AMIs that you have, uh, which is problematic if you're doing this in a CI context, because then that ends up costing you money. Um, so now you can have lifecycle rules that expunge older versions of your AMIs. And the last one I have, I didn't get a chance to read it uh, too closely. Uh, so these were a, a summary of some of the key takeaways from the 2023 Kubernetes uh, security report. Talks about things, um, uh, some of the trends that it sees. One of them is like, you know, container security maturity is low. Only 9% of clusters use network policies for traffic separation within the cluster. I think that's pretty true of companies not using a service mesh. Not that we recommend service meshes because the additional complexity of that. However, if you're operating EKS, for example, in AWS, there are a lot of things you can do and it does support network policies out of the box now. Um, and it also supports um, pod security groups. So there is things you can do to separate or uh, add protection to the traffic. And a bunch more in here, I didn't get to. Cool, well, that's all the announcements I had. Let's check out the chat and see uh, what else um, uh, people have brought up here. All right, no other announcements. Before you get into Q&A, uh, any announcements? 
right. Let's do Q&A. So I think this was my question from last week. I'll just delete that there. Uh, yeah, open uh, open mic. Uh, unmute yourself if you have a question. Jump in and uh, let's see if we can uh, help you out. Going once, going twice, three times, you're out. We're, we're all thinking about that turkey tomorrow. I know. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't, uh, you know, the day before Thanksgiving in the U.S., uh, don't have high expectations for a lot of uh, hardcore questions. Uh, I, I do have one I'll put out there. Um top of mind um does anybody have some recommendations or tooling uh, for linting or otherwise testing github actions hmm action lens say that one more time action lens hmm was that you hans yeah uh, i i I happen to happen to be using it at the moment, so thank you. That, that's a vote of confidence for Action Lens, or Action Lens. Yep. Michael, you and Hans should connect sometime. Hans has gone hard, very deep on all the linting uh, aspect. It's now running in uh, GitHub validation uh, workflow of uh, GitHub Actions as well. All those all, all our validations uh, running from the Atmos container. Hmm. So really cool. That is nice. I'm gonna check that one out. And uh, the um, I, I take from that maybe I should pull it down and use it, and not just their online example. We, uh, I'm not sure if you're using also the geodesic uh, container tooling, but we uh, put it in there. So is it our, our container is bloated with linters and stuff like that? <laughs> yeah, it's about time you maybe just need a separate linting container. But you <laughs> you also like to run them locally, I guess. So that, yeah, it's part of that. And the advantage of that is that we can and run them locally and then have the same Atmos workflow kicked off from the GitHub Actions. Mm -hmm. so, oh, so they just provide a. Uh, binary that you can run then. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should add a package uh, for this. Well, uh, yeah. So for those um, not familiar, Cloud Posse does distribute a lot of packages. Um, so it's easy to get our tool chain. Um, and all those packages are available here. So Action Lint would be uh, one of those. And I'm, That's I'm it. seeing everything use our tool chain anymore. <laughs> Well, why I, I'm seeing a build build harness uh, extension uh, a module for this. Possibly, you know, that build harness is due for a uh, facelift. So we've been trying not to invest too much more in the build harness and keeping it where it is. What we realize with build harness and make files in general is just that you can't scale a large make file ecosystem easily. So um, that that's why we've kind of just kept it uh, as it is for some time now. You're going to move to Bazel for that? Uh... <laughs> Not sure if we're going to subject everybody to Bazel, but uh, yeah, something. Yeah. For yeah. instance, of using this this packages repository instead of just uh, yeah, run of a bot and, and simple installs. Oh, because when you want to try and have a way of installing the same version that's available on Mac OS, that's on Linux, that's on well, that that's on different OS distributions. Because if you keep in mind, GeoDesic has also uh, RPM, Debian, and Alpine uh, releases. Um, so trying to uh, standardize on the version of the tool chain, we created our own package distribution because having a bunch of uh, random curls in different Docker files wasn't maintainable. So this way we have a standard uh, package installer that works with the mainstream uh, Linux distributions. Yeah, I'm only considering AMD and ARM, but uh, that's basically a very simple uh, approach to get those uh, fixed in. 
AMD and ARN. Oh, uh, ARN, ARM, ARM packages. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it, I, you know, th these things have progressively built on each other, um, but it was uh, ultimately easier to manage the packages this way. Of course, anyone is free to install however they want to install their own packages. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, I like to go also, mostly, most of the time, I like to go to the source. Yeah, these and to be clear, these are going straight to the source. Um, we pull those binaries directly from the official binaries. But obviously, there's, yeah. And then these get pushed to CloudSmith, and that's how we uh, disseminate them. So that, that way, with CloudSmith, we're able to distribute it uh, with all the different package systems that CloudSmith supports. Okay. Yeah, multi-arch. But I'm sure you being Hans, you'll find some <laughs> you'll find some limitation. Um yeah, usually uh, I use renovate bots uh, quite uh, quite extensively as you might have noticed and uh, it's still running every hour I believe the, the default setting from uh, from the public one. Yeah. Uh, I even encountered already with Atmol or Geodesic the 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 image not being yet available for certain stuff and and Atmos so I'm just pulling them directly from the, the GitHub releases uh, stuff. I gotcha. Uh, someone else posted a, a related question. If anyone has checked out ACT for uh, local GitHub Actions development, um, yeah. it's come up a bunch of times on uh, office hours. The gist of it is it is uh, not a viable alternative for local development of GitHub Actions. You'll frequently be able to replicate scenarios locally that do not work uh, in the actual GitHub Actions and vice versa. Things that work in the actual GitHub Actions don't work locally in ACT. So um, you'll end up debugging your things twice. And I, 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 we, we've had a lot of developers on our team you know, try it start off very bullish about it and then just give up um, and never talk about it again. For me, it's one of the reasons uh, not to rely too much on on uh, pipeline specific uh, plugins and stuff like that. And uh, I usually prefer a make file that's being kicked off by, uh, by the CI/CD pipeline instead of having to depend too much on all mm. these external things. Um, again, because I like to do things locally and see that they are locally working, and then it's easy to replicate that in whatever pipeline you're using. Earthly, yeah, nice one. And this is kind of and, and what um, Hans is describing is kind of the business case behind Earthly: the fact that you should be able to run all this stuff locally, and then you sh it should be um, uh, CI/CD agnostic, so that you can just. Uh, put drop those commands in your CI/CD system and go. You know, I, I like it, but I don't like it at the same time. So, yeah. Make make also works in GitHub Actions and Circle CI. It does, but like you know what you're doing with the linting, I think that's really nice. But you know what I think is even nicer is when you have the native integration with the linting on GitHub. Uh, so, it, like when you open a pull request and it does linting, it actually uh, highlights underneath the code which line is um, in violation. And I forget what those are called, those enrichments, but uh, you can't do that if you're using the same command, make target locally as in your GitHub Actions. So it, it's the common problem of the lowest common denominator. When you build for the lowest common denominator, uh, you get something that works everywhere, but you also don't get to maximize the, um, the platform specific enhancements. Yeah, that's true. But most of, uh, in my case, I um, most of the stuff I do uh, anyway from my IDA uh, IntelliJ in this uh, this case. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of the linting and a lot of stuff is already happening locally. Um, and for me, it's like uh, even all those uh, linting stuff that is con uh, that is doing the automatic fixing. Basically, I hate those kind of things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So if you hate those guys, I like to know what is happening locally before I commit. Instead of hey, the crap is uh, moving all over the place. Yeah. But that's uh, that's perhaps a reason why I don't trust a, a AI that much as well to generate all my code and infrastructure from code and that kind of stuff. I agree. Well, especially when the answer it gives you is different every time you ask it even slightly, even if materially the outcome is the same, it's frustrating when it's constantly. Yeah, but I can 
I guess even if we talk to Andrew uh, for certain things, he will also give different answers depending on what he's eaten and what he experienced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true too. All right. Um, Isaac brings up dagger. Dagger is also a similar um, thing to yeah. earthly. But Don't hear too much about it, but yeah, this is by the uh, one of the former founders of um, Docker. NQ Lang based. Mm, it was. It used to be. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I like the pipelines mostly to, to kick off stuff automatically uh, without having to worry too much about specific plugins that are outdated anyway. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of cases. Um, so I like to be a little bit more in control what is actually happening. Yeah. And that also resolves then a lot of the issues regarding uh, hey, stuff cannot be replicated correctly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like Cloud Posse, I have uh, some opinions regarding these kind of things. That is That is necessary. All right, let's see. Any other questions we can get to? Perhaps I have a question to, once uh, everyone's done. Perhaps it's good to highlight the uh, Spacelift Amy Worker issue a little bit. Yeah, sure. We can uh, surface that. Um, I've been uh, out of the office here, just seen some of the chatter. Are you able to uh, elaborate on that one, Hans? Yeah, basically um, last week, Started last week, they did a change in the uh, GitHub repo where they are generating the, the AMI's for, for the Spacelift worker uh, images, uh, doing an upgrade of the basic OS that's being used. Uh, that's now communicated as a version one, but that image was already pushed. So last weekend it was like crap, my workers are not running. And it's ended up, um, yeah, because in this case, uh, some code was using some uh, some commands that are not quite up to date anymore. Uh, so basically everything broke in those images. Um, they now made a special announcement, but basically those Amy's are pushed directly from main instead of using release tags and stuff like that. Uh, and Eric, I have a PR in components if you want to pull up a reference. It has links in it. Yeah. But it was quite, uh, quite, uh, yeah, annoying to have suddenly uh, pulled the rock out on you. Uh, which one was it? Uh, right at the top, very top. Oh, yep. So yeah, this quote here is what Hans got in response to asking them about this, where mm -hmm. they said, "Yeah, it's an unannounced breaking change," and mm -hmm. then later the third link they did announce it's actually it is a breaking change. Um, but it, it's a pretty simple fix. If you look at the file change, it's just changing how we um, get the uh, Docker login. Yeah. But yeah, it was a hidden change that I saw as well at another engagement um, where suddenly the workers are no longer connecting the space lift, but everything seems to be passing successfully. And you get into it and you realize the AMI changed under the, the hood. Yeah. yeah. Should we mention anything related to AMI change in the description? um or that it's I, I mean i think that's the why personally but um i can yeah sure if you think so uh, also indicate that it's a fix for something upstream and okay. i try to uh, push uh, space lift to include some information that we can do a little bit more selectively instead of just pulling the latest amy yeah This uh, <laughs> is what has also bit us very badly recently with all the GitHub action stuff as well. Yeah. From Amazon Linux to, to 2023. Yeah. yeah. They got rid of so many packages in Amazon Linux 2023 that it's breaking a lot of systems. Yeah. So that was a uh, cruel one and it was popping up quite suddenly. And yeah. Uh, combination of factors, but basically uh, having uh, having this kind of breaking change is quite uh, disruptive, especially in your pipeline. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else on this topic, or uh, should we go to? I think was it Oliver that had a question. 
So <laughs> my question is actually uh, in some ways very basic, but uh, for some reason it's only started bugging me in the past uh, uh, few months. And um, basically, you know, so you do Terraform plan and everything seems to work. Uh, you do a peer review. Yeah, okay, the IAM, uh, you know, uh, uh, resource in, in, you know, for the bucket looks good. And then you <laughs> you apply the plan and, oh, it complains that, you know, you you use the resource name instead of the IRN uh, crap. Yeah, okay. So the PR has been merged and now you're scrambling to either, you know, create a new PR or uh, whatever. So I'm just curious what uh, what people do to, to mitigate that. Uh, I don't know, do you use local stack or what, what are some of the tricks that people have uh, developed yeah. again right this? So uh, that's a great question, and this is a fundamental um, limitation, I would say, of working with Terraform, and one needs to assume that no matter all the safeguards you've put in place, that apply that you're about to do can fail. So I don't, well, obviously we should try and avoid plans or, uh, you know, applies failing. I think the more important thing is to have a story around what happens when a plan fails or an apply fails rather, uh, so you don't lose track of that change and can address that. Um, so we have a strategy that uh, we've been working on. Um, I think you know if you're using one of the taco providers, um, you, you can stay on top of the failed applies there. But I think that the fundamental problem with a lot of the implementations I've seen is that they're not based on creating issues around those failures that you can assign to people. Um, and I can show you what we do for that. So in our solution, um, if, uh, if you're attempting a, an apply and that apply fails, um, we'll automatically create an issue that looks like this, mm -hmm. uh, then that issue can be assigned to somebody. And if that issue automatic is remediated, uh, it'll get picked up by the drift detection and auto-close that GitHub issue. But this is a scalable way of managing those failures. And a, a common uh, reason for those failures, and I can show you why this is an unsolvable problem, is if I look at one here that we had recently, um, Here, uh, here's a, an example uh, that checked out. Um, the plan is uh, successful, um, but when we went to apply this uh, uh, change, back to the pull request, that pull request failed because of a lock. And you have no control over who has locked the state. Um, so here's something that merged into main that if you didn't have an issue tracking it uh, is a change that could be easily forgotten, especially if it happened before lunch and you're <laughs> on to other things. So yeah. is that a good question, Oliver? Well, I guess there's one thing that's worth uh, mentioning because someone said, you know, um, so Isaac said, uh, successful apply before merge. So, I mean, the funny thing is that that doesn't entirely solve the problem um, because what happens if you're a team of people is that you do a successful apply uh, or rather you try the apply and um, uh, if it fails partly through, then it, people working off the master branch <laughs> get, you know, they see a different uh, set is they see a different infra code, right? So, yeah, yeah it, it, it there's some situations where that'll work, but there's still a lot where that so, won't. And the successful apply before merge is the Atlantis pattern uh, that uh, you know they kind of pioneered mm -hmm. uh, prior to Atlantis. You know, the the norm for all deployments was always after a merge into main, and it was sacrilege to do it any other way. Uh, they normalized this thing where you do your deploys before merge. Um, and to some degree it worked, but you brought up a good point, Oliver, that now those pulling off of main and making changes, well, you know, you fixed it for one, you fixed one problem, you introduced another. The yeah, other problem, the other problem which makes it totally unacceptable to me is that you are manipulating the infrastructure possibly multiple times 
before you commit. Before you commit, meaning you commit that into main, you 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 are uh, so so you could actually be doing multiple transformations to the state before merging into main. Uh, and the only way to figure that out is you got to dig through all those commit messages. Oh, sorry, all those comments on the pull request, which is very mm -hmm. noisy, uh, and I don't like it. So I don't think that's the uh, uh, appropriate answer at scale. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it, 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 in some cases, uh, you know, automations through, like, say, GitHub Actions, you know, as as you showed, can show it can solve a lot of the problem, um, but uh, that's not always um, a viable solution for every client. Uh, some of them haven't moved their stuff yet to, you know, GitOps for infra. They're they're only using it, say, for uh, uh, applications. Um, so. Yeah, it's an interesting problem uh, when uh, you know you can't you can't uh, take advantage of uh, the automation and uh, say um, you know there's a, a tool called TerraTeam. They have an interesting approach where they lock so a PR basically locks the state, um, which is which is interesting because then if another PR in, you know in the same code infra code base is is in progress, um, they won't be able to apply until. The first PR has been merged, so that can at least you know that can. That's what Atlantis does, right? So Atlantis locks yeah. the state uh, by at a project level as well, uh, and that's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, and I mean that'll that'll uh, solve a category of problems, but I guess in this particular case where the plan uh, succeeded and the apply failed, that probably you know wouldn't fix that one actually. But does uh, Terra team support apply on uh, merge to main? And in that case, yeah. when is the locking uh, happening? Um, so the, they they lock it in the PR phase and unlock it in the apply phase, which could be in then. But that yeah, then no other projects can be planning supposedly, I guess, or at least merge during that time. Well, I think the lock is managed by Terra team. So I imagine that they don't prevent a plan. So the plan can still take place, yeah. but the, and it'll, it'll be marked as obsolete as having to be renewed. I, I, I saw that, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, um, the actual issue of, you know, something working at the plan stage and then feel it uh, failing when it's actually executed. Mm -hmm. uh is is uh you know seems like there's not really any satisfactory solution you know another thing could could have been well um you know if you had a, an easy way to always ensure that all the work is kind of uh, on a sequence of branches right so someone creates a branch if you want to do if another developer wants to make modifications they have to base off of that branch right so that you're always kind of <laughs> but that doesn't really work that well either because uh, sometimes some PRs have to end up being merged before, you know, the the, the, the more recent PR actually, uh, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. Kind of an unsolved problem still, I think. All right. Any other questions we can uh, get answered today? Yeah, I put one in the chat, but basically, has anyone migrated from GitLab to GitHub and how painful was it? What lessons did you learn? What would you recommend? Mm -hmm. Guessing by the silence, it's not a popular move then. So I yeah, I can't give you like uh, I think a, I I don't think I can add information to you you know to your question something you don't already know because I know you're pretty technical. Uh, I mean, fundamentally, the change is pretty easy. Just changing the Git remote and that's a sim simple command. I think the bigger issue would be um, if you're using a lot of GitLab functionality, uh, GitLab pipelines. Um, I think the other thing to consider moving from GitLab to GitHub, um, which isn't something that which wasn't obvious to me, but is obvious to me now, is, you know, GitLab, you have all the folders. And I've always wanted to have those folders on GitHub, but you don't. 
But the GitHub approach is really to use multiple organizations. So if you are moving from GitLab to GitHub and you're a larger organizations and you have you know, hundreds of repositories, you might want to consider adopting multiple GitHub orgs early rather than trying to do it later on if you're anyways going to do that migration. Ah, that's interesting because I was thinking about that too when I looked at the structure and it seemed like most people just went with put everything in one organization and make your life easy. But I guess you're suggesting that it might seem easy, but could cause you some challenges down the road. So, you know, we're, so this is, this is my challenge with enterprise. Like we're, we're on HubSpot enterprise for sales and marketing and we're a small company. We're not enterprise, but we need the functionality that's in there. And the same thing is true from GitHub perspective. Like I've always, you know, internalized that we're a small company at Cloud Posse. We aren't enterprise. So why should I pay for enterprise? And then I started realizing all these limitations that I, in, 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 I say, enforced on ourselves that weren't there. So, uh, you know, starting from scratch, I wouldn't put five, you know, 300 Terraform modules in one GitHub org. I'd have those in a separate organization. And then I would have uh, a lot of our cloud posse tooling in a separate organization. And I, I put our GitHub actions in a separate organization. Um, but that's because we have uh, hundreds and hundreds of repositories and it's unmanageable, I think, in a single org. Plus, you get greater autonomy when you have multiple organizations and those teams can manage uh, their own you know, org level permissions um, related to that. Um, I, I know some of our customers are in a similar situation where they are a subdivision of a larger company. And then they've been get, given their own GitHub organization so they can control um, repository permissions and things like that without affecting the enterprise at a whole. Um, also, the, the new repository rules feature is pretty cool. And that's an enterprise only feature. Uh, if you need any of the more compliance oriented functionality, GitHub Enterprise is the way to go. Um, a lot more restrictions are available to enterprise or GitHub organizations as it relates to GitHub Actions, GitHub Action Runners, workflows. You can tie workflows to runners and prevent certain repositories from accessing certain runners and things like that. Are you referring to the rule sets? The rule sets is that new functionality, yeah. Um, okay. So I was kind of blending a lot of functionality into one right. expression. But yeah, the rule sets is that one where you can now uh, give set up policies at the org level and um, disseminate those. Yeah, I saw that. I noticed that there were some things that I thought I should be able to do and I wasn't able to do and you haven't been able to do for a while. But I guess with the rule sets, you can now apply them blanket to your organization. I was also curious if most people are running when on GitHub, are they running with the, is it okay to use just like the GitHub runners? Because our experience with GitLab is like it's a bad idea to real to rely on on GitLab's runners. So it was it made sense to run our own self-hosted runners. But it looking at most organizations, it looked like they all just use the public runners from GitHub. So I was just curious about what what the move is there. My opinion is that if you want to manage any resources inside of a private uh, VPC then you're going to want to deploy some um, self-managed uh, GitHub runners. Uh, in almost all of our engagements, I'd say like 99% of our engagements, we deploy self-hosted runners. I think it's also one of the magical things about GitHub is that they don't charge you for your own runners other than what you pay to host those runners yourself. Um, and that's the that's one of the big models of a lot of companies, um, you know, Circle CI charges you if you want to use private runners. Codefresh charges you if you want to use private runners, and it's a per runner fee, so it gets really expensive. Spacelift does that. All of the, you know Terraform Cloud does that based on the agents. So I think it's uh, cool that you can do it, and it doesn't cost you anything more. You still have the option of using self-hosted or the cloud. I think it comes down to some things about control, private, uh, and, and security. If you also trust giving GitHub, oh, depending on what type of permissions you want to give uh, using GitHub OIDC to GitHub to do those things. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think our main concern was, I forget the exact phrasing, but GitHub themselves seems to be dissuading you from running your own self-hosted runners okay. security concerns, but... Um, I, I, that's probably only for public uh, repositories. Yeah, okay, He. Yeah. that's a really good point, Dan. Um, GitHub does suggest that you do not use self-hosted runners 
for public open for open source repositories, repositories that anyone can do, because those jobs run workloads in your VPC with access to your network, and uh, that uh, you know exposes or how you say it, expands the attack surface. So I would only use public runners for your public repos. And the private runners are great for all your private repos or public runners for private repos, but we predominantly use private runners. Got it. Thank you for that clarification. And we do use self-hosted for both private and public, but you should have a separate group of runners that are responsible for public repos so that they're isolated and secure. I'm guessing there is a way on the interface to say you can't use these runners in public repos. I'm hoping at least they would have thought of that. Yeah, you, know, you can. You you absolutely can. Um, okay. uh, but I'm not sure off the top of my head if that's an enterprise only type of feature, for example. Well, it, depending on how you deploy the runners, like you can limit their scope by repo or by organization. So a lot of cases when you have a repo or a runner that you that has access to say your EKS cluster, you only give it permission to be executed from the single repo rather than the organization as a whole. So you can have the, it's scoped to just your, say, infrastructure um, repository rather than your entire organization. That's helpful. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Hey, Michael, I had no idea you had uh, the hate for GitHub. Yeah, I. it doesn't bear discussing now but yeah i i if i could i would move us back to GitLab mm. in a heartbeat and and i would spend months doing it and be glad for it but i can't so what uh, uh, what is the top one or two reasons uh there there are too many there's too much reliance on github as a um Let's call it, it's not fair, but let's call it GitHub proprietary uh, technologies and the weight of the of the network, right? The value of a network being the square of the, what is it, uh, n to the n minus one uh, of the members of the network. So there's so much software, there's so much contribution, there's PRs back and forth with other packages, and there there, there are several reasons why. Um, there's such a critical mass of people using GitHub and technologies that are available there that you put up with the annoyances. But overall, the the experience in GitLab was far superior. I, I'm not prepared for a dissertation on it, and I think it does deserve uh, a carefully articulated and presented argument for why GitHub, GitLab is a is a much better experience. Uh, and I, I'm not prepared to really give that, but there there is a huge emotional uh, piece to it as well. I um, I'm very frustrated with GitHub on the daily, hmm. and uh, in ways that I was never was with GitLab. Oh. Was that self-hosted GitLab or GitLab Cloud? Uh, that was GitLab Cloud. Although uh, we have members of our team who who continue to run uh, GitLab self-hosted. Um, on the side. Gotcha. Oh, I'm sorry. But I'm yeah. speaking strictly of 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 dot com, right? Of um, SaaS offering. Anecdotally, and this is not backed by science. Um, we used to, you know, we were getting enough. Um, I'd say about a year and a half ago to two years ago, there was enough um, deals that we were having to pass on because they were tied to GitLab that I was considering that we should add GitLab as a solution. But I would say in the past year, I, I've heard more companies wanting to move from GitLab to GitHub. Um, so I've kind of, yeah, thrown out that uh, consideration. Yeah. For that. Uh, companies, I believe, um, individual developers who uh, who built something productive under GitLab yeah. Uh, wanting to move to GitHub, I, I I don't feel that is probably the same proportion. But but it, again, I'm very prejudiced. You know, the, when you start working with GitLab CI, for example, and you you structure a pipeline in a meaningful way with stage gates and you know uh, dependencies and so forth, and 
and then you try to do the same thing in in GitHub, it's it's a real letdown. And and then organizing your code like you like you described, um, you know, having four hundred or five hundred repositories, or just having fifty repositories without some way to organize your repositories into some sub elements, um, you know. In GitLab, for example, the, the groups allow you to uh, bubble up issues across projects, yeah. which I think for organizations is is tremendously beneficial. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, in in ways that you don't appreciate necessarily, you just have it in theory, but you start using it and you go, "Wow, this is a night and day experience." Using scoped labels uh, and using uh, I mean the 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 issue system in in GitHub is is just Stone Age. You you feel like you've stepped backwards in time uh, if you came the other direction. Um, anyway, sorry. Like I said, I sh I'm I'm not prepared for a proper discussion <laughs> on it, but you can hear the emotion. I think the uh, passion. No, I mean <laughs> we're, we're we're welcoming of all uh, viewpoints at this. I mean, I, I would say that GitHub issues felt a lot worse like a year and a half or two years ago. But with the new GitHub projects, um, I feel like issues are getting better and better. Um, and the distinction between discussions and issues, I like that. But I admit, I don't have a current GitLab experience. Um, so, all right. We got another few minutes here. Do we have uh, some other questions in CQ&A? So we got yours answered there. Did you want to add anything to that, Isaac? Oh no, absolutely not. no. Um, I I I I share some of these sentiments for sure. Even just playing around <laughs> with actions, and I'm like, oh, this looks underwhelming. Um, but yeah, sometimes you don't have control over where you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or I I'd be yeah. I don't know. I feel like GitHub has been investing so much into GitHub Actions, and there's a lot of things that you can do in GitHub Actions, especially from the security aspect that you cannot do in GitLab, um, especially around the controls around the runners and where workloads uh, are run and, the, and which workflows can do that. And in the GitLab pipelines, aren't all the workflows in a single file and then you can include them, um, but then you need a lot of conditionals and logic in the workflow? Oh no, there's there's uh, extensive support for templating and inheritance and so forth. Yeah. Okay. If I understood the question correctly, yeah. Yeah. No, I, they were very. Look, for example, they had templating and inheritance way before uh, GitLab or sorry GitHub introduced shared workflows uh, or reusable workflows um, and composite actions, but. Uh, what I recalled was in GitLab, um, you had a single uh, workflow file. And inside of that workflow, you can include all these other workflows that you wanted, but it, the entry point was always one workflow file. And now you had to have logic branches on you know, what to do when that workflow is run. Versus GitHub Actions, you, know, you, you can have as many workflow files there as you want with as many triggers as you need. Um, and the organization there makes sense to me uh, more, but I see what you mean. Yeah, I I think that's still accurate. Yeah, okay. that's one, a correct discussion. One one entry point into the into the workflow. One one entry point into the CI pipeline. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, I I suppose technically you could um, you could work around that to parallelize through uh, triggering other um, behaviors, and and certainly you can trigger other um, other projects to build. You you know you could um, do something similar that you know several of our CI pipelines uh, are not initiated within the CI system that is native. In this case, GitHub Actions. Mm -hmm. So you you have other, you know, a, several of RCI pipelines are not GitHub action based, as you're aware. Uh, so you you always have that ability to fire off 
workflows that are not driven by the GitHub or GitLab CI file. Mm-hmm. You, you could do, you can always do that. You could do that with with GitHub as well. But yeah, it's not na- it's not immediately parallel or detached the way GitHub Actions are. And I don't miss that. I mean, I I don't I I don't I shrug that off. I I wouldn't care uh, about that myself. And I assume I, I I want a starting point, and that gives me capabilities that unrelated parallel actions miss out on. Frankly, it's my my feeling. All right. Well, I guess that was a fair and balanced discussion. Um, we have another five or four minutes or three minutes here. Uh, any last question we can get to before we begin to wrap up for the day? I have one. All right, go for it. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of scanning like TFLint, TFSec, TerraScan. So what's the minimum best practice that you can go away with and what's the maximum? Do you use all of them or maybe there's a new one that come, comes out? What's the best practice for everyone here that uses uh, scanning? I'm not sure. If Want to answer this one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it's the best practice, but I like to use multiple approaches always, uh, especially with these kind of things. Everybody has their own particular insights, particular hooks that they uh, fall into. So I like to use multiple ways to scan them. Perhaps you can use one or two as the main one, but uh, it's it's good to uh, also use some of the others to get some some additional insights because they have everybody has different set of rules. Yeah, I think what you're going to run into, yeah, Megalinter. Uh, it's a hit or miss with Megalinter. I think someone else on this call can share their recent experience with it, which was ours as well uh, with Megalinting. But um, I think Hans hit the nail on the head is that you get certain policies out of the box with different tools. And there's some overlap with them, which will be a little bit annoying with the duplicate things. But when you deal with open source and off the shelf open source, uh, that's part of what you have to deal with is just combining lots of tools to try and get the the widest uh, linting surface possible. Uh, I think it comes down to your team then as well. Um, If you haven't started with linting early in your project, uh, it's gonna be really noisy and really painful to get everything up to date. So probably, add them incrementally uh, to your project so as not to um, discourage the team from fixing things. Is there a favorite one particularly for Terraform files? I mean, the two that always come up are TFSec and TFLint, right? Uh, Both of them have GitHub Actions. Um, What I, if you do implement the GitHub Actions for them, look at the version that works together with uh, CodeQL. Um, and exports the serif format. That way uh, it, in, it maximizes your utilization of the GitHub UI to segment off all the linting and security errors into their own security tab. The problem with the mega linter that uh, we encountered was uh, just too many um, uh, uh, too many uh, challenges getting the different YAML files, linting the right way, for example, adding too many exceptions uh, to ignore uh, linting on different things. So we gave up trying to standardize on that mega linter ourselves. Um, I forget, uh, Michael, I think you just recently shared some pain on using mega linter as well. Yeah, I, I, um, I think there's a lot of experiences. Mega linter is a nifty project and uh, there's a lot of good things that can be said about it, but you know we're running GitHub Actions. Uh, we're running GitHub Actions on EKS, so we already have a massively parallel, discrete actions that we can kick off. And um, bundling it, it's it's an anti-pattern, I think, to bundle a bunch of jobs together in you know in one in one task, and then have to spin off like an eight gig image um all right, to run all these cool. tests that are not always applicable yeah yeah 
but I think it's it's there's a lot of good things uh, that you can do. You can certainly tune it. Uh, fabulous project in general. Just uh, I I prefer to have the individual tools for most of the CI pipeline um, rather than the the kitchen sink. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the ideas. So, and just since not everyone might be familiar with this, um, this is the cool little security tab that I dig on um, this. So if you go to code scanning, in this case closed, if you're using those actions that upload this serif file here, then um, under the security tab, you get this uh, summary of the problems. And then if you're using GitHub Enterprise, I believe you can aggregate those security findings across that organization. Yeah, you need to have enterprise and or the uh, security scanning. So it's not all yeah, by the advanced uh, security feature, I think. Right? Advanced security. Yeah, I think that. Yeah. yeah. Is, is the advanced yeah, security on Teams? <laughs> is that only required for the aggregation aspect, advanced security? I don't, just using code scanning by itself is in enterprise, no? Yeah, I believe that you need more for the custom rules. Yeah. Okay. That's that's my impression also is that is that you have to have advanced you you get you get a base you get the automatic uh code QL feature, I think without it. I I looked at this just the other day. So if you if you're enterprise and you only want to use the automatic generated rule, uh and you don't want to um, do anything beyond that, then I don't think you need advanced security. But if you're going to use this much, you're going to use the advanced security, which I think they're sold in like blocks of 10, 10 mm -hmm. repos. Um, so, I mean, if you only have a few repos, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 repos, it's probably not that bad of a deal. But if you've got a lot of re repositories, that advanced, those advanced security licenses may cut deeply yeah those were yeah that was expensive but then again those are just json files so uh, probably can generate some kind of a github issue uh, if you encounter really uh, scan issues and then you have your poor man's edition yeah you <laughs> could centralize centralize everything and have it checked out in one place or um, no, just uh, have the um, if there are really scanning issues that they generate GitHub issues mm -hmm. instead of having to uh, browse through those files and see what's there. In the end, they are just JSON files. I mean, this it's just yeah, like it goes from like four dollars a user from Team to twenty dollars a user, so five x uh, more expensive. All you know, already just to go to enterprise, and then it's. Another fifty bucks a month per active uh, committer to go to advanced security. Uh, that's uh, steep. Well, and and on the surface, you know, you'd say, well, GitLab, right? Ninety nine bucks, or they used to be ninety nine bucks a month. Um, well, you know, all of a sudden the twenty three dollars. I think it actually is twenty three, twenty four dollars a user is what it really comes out to be. Um, looks very attractive, but you step back and try to actually purchase it. We have GitHub through uh, EA with Microsoft. And when you, if you step back and look at the real math that happens when that organization kicks in and, you know, they sell you a block of a hundred users, if you need 10 or if you need 11, they immediately sell you a hundred, even mm -hmm. though they're supposed to sell them to you in blocks of 10 and they throw other features in there. And, you know, yeah. You, you you then take that number of users and divide, you know, the uh, over the you, you take the total cost that they charge you in the EA, uh, divide it by the users you have. And you come to find out you're spending a lot more than the ninety nine dollars you would be spending at uh, GitHub. At least that's or GitLab. That's my impression. Um, I know we're about to end, but I'm glad we ran over because I did not read the fine prints and advanced security. So that is so good to see. Um, something I'll have to turn off because we're not spending that money. Well, I, I, I can, uh, my prejudices aside, I can tell you don't waste the time on the secret scanning. 
that is worthless. Well, I've, I've got so many cases where I wouldn't spend a dime on their secret scanning. It's just not even worth, you know, it's they, they should be paying you to try it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we are at time. Thanks for that. Uh, those insights, everyone. And we'll be back here same time, same place next week, uh, next Wednesday at 1130 uh, Pacific. Uh, if you want to get today's recording, you'll find it at youtube.com slash cloud posse. We'll post it there in a few hours. Uh, you can share that with your team. Uh, it helps us out a great deal if you leave a review uh, at cloudposse.com slash APN dash review. That's how we level up within the uh, AWS partner ecosystem. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we syndicate the links and interesting information we find uh, through our community at newsletter.cloudposse.com. And our Slack team, if you haven't joined, is at slack.cloudposse.com. Finally, if you are interested in working with Cloud Posse and seeing if we can move the needle for you at your organization, uh, real easy to find out. Uh, start by taking our quiz, give us some information, and you'll book a session with me directly, and we'll go through your situation and see uh, how we can help out. Go to cloudposse.com quiz. Again, cloudposse.com quiz to do that. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.